Welcome, Watchmen. I am the Paladin Preacher with Peleus Men's Ministry. Let's jump into tonight's topic. Are you ready? Let's begin. Hey, good evening, Watchman community. Paladin Preacher here. Thanks for tuning in again. So tonight, there are a number of topics which I hope to discuss and, and share with you guys regarding the current climate of health uh, among Christians, especially among Christian men. Uh, now, these are, you know, to preface this, these are my own observations and interpretations of Scripture regarding some of the topics of health. And the amount of research and, and content that I have on this particular topic, um, it was pretty extensive. So I, I was thinking it would be a good idea to break it up into a multi-part series. That way I can give you guys enough to chew on and uh, digest a little bit, and then we can hopefully pick it up again at a future broadcast. So, um, you know, my goal in putting this uh, this together is to offer some different perspectives for Christians trying to further their walk with Christ. Um, I offer my argument for why we should be approaching health in a new way based on my interpretations of Scripture, new discoveries in health sciences, and a mutual understanding that ultimately Satan's goal is to destroy God's creation, and he wants to sever our relationships with our Creator. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 And you're probably wondering why uh, or how somebody would create a broadcast on, on what might say a controversial topic within Christian culture, especially among the church. And it all started with a simple question that I had. And that question was, does Scripture say anything about diet and health? I honestly, I really didn't know. Uh, you know. I grew up going to private school. I was fortunate to go to private school. And, you know, all the years of, of taking Bible class, I can't recall really having a class where the teacher uh, was talking about what Scripture had to say about health, you know, how we were supposed to live from a, a dietary perspective, uh, fitness, uh, just taking care of your body. Uh, the only really reference was, you know, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But outside of that, it was, I mean, I really can't think of a time where somebody sat down and told me, like, this is what the Bible says about health, and this is how we should be acting, this is how we should be treating our body. So, um, it, this broadcast began as a essentially an accumulation of notes and annotations of Bible verses that I had put together um, over the course of about a year and a half while I was listening to the Bible on, my, on the Bible app. Uh, so I read it cover to cover, and throughout the course of that, that year and, and 10 months, I was listening for something specific. I was listening for uh, particular verses that were referring to either health, diet, meat, vegetables, food, uh, nutrition, and when I finally finished my read-through, I actually went back through my notes, and there seemed to be a common thread that was kind of formulating through the information that I gathered. 
Now I can't say exactly how or why this was this like came about, but it was put on my heart definitely to put this broadcast together and I truly felt commissioned by the Holy Spirit. And my goal for the the broadcast is that in the same way that that seed was planted on me to share with you, I, I hope that that small seed can be a continual presence which grows to glorify God's kingdom and ultimately could make a larger impact on the body of Christ as a whole, if that be God's will. So as watchmen in Christ, it is our duty to hold one another accountable in all things, including diet and exercise. And yet it seems the world focuses more on health and fitness than uh, your typical Christian man. You know, men's morning Bible studies typically begin with donuts. Men's afternoon Bible studies usually consist of pizza and soda. You have men's retreats, which, I mean, if you've ever been to a men's retreat, you know how good the food is. It's a pretty simple buffet, almost like a Marie Callender's. But it's like an endless supply of comfort food, and men's monthly breakfasts are are pretty much an all-you-can-eat buffet of just about the most unhealthy options you could have for breakfast. So after God said that all was acceptable and safe to eat, my question is, have we over the years misused, misused that gift that God gave to us when he said that all things were safe to eat and all was acceptable? And, and what did that actually mean? So I'd like to start by talking about the beginning, literally in the beginning in Genesis when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there was no sin in the world. Therefore, the, the diet God originally intended for us did not, conclu- did not include the consumption of animals because death had not existed yet. There was no death because sin had not entered the world yet. So I wonder if we can describe the perfect body, the perfect health, and the perfect food in the Garden of Eden, shouldn't we strive for modeling our health and diet off of the perfect model? In the same way we strive to make who we are more like Jesus, who was also perfect. You wouldn't model yourself after someone who you did not want to emulate. You would want to find the epitome of what you were looking for and then model yourself to that. Like, how am I, how am I measuring up to that? You, know, you can, you, that can translate to your career or your family. Like you find someone that you admire and that you look up to and you think like that, they, wow, they've got it. They've got it together. Like I want to emulate that individual or these individuals. And you're looking for the perfect model because you want to aim for what's perfect, knowing that you are going to fall short, but you want to try and aim for the best that you possibly can. You don't want to aim for the least you possibly can and just hope for the best. So, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between you and your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, 
With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like the one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis 3, 14 through 24. We're going to discuss the different types of consumption, as well as when the Bible talks about a dependence on meat, it is often made in connection to death and disconnection from God in most cases. I discuss the importance of upholding our bodily health, so we may have the strength and fortitude to carry out the challenging calling God has for us. We'll look at a common argument used to justify the way we eat within Scripture and new ways of looking at the same Scripture and trying to uncover deeper meanings within it. In addition, I, a topic often not shared is the importance of fasting as a, as a soldier of Christ. As Christians, we believe God created and creates all things, that nothing is outside of his understanding. And thus I share the, the recent widespread changes across the secular medical industry due to their discoveries, which have only been possible because of divine intervention. Furthermore, as, as we, the body of Christ, we need to take a hard look at the discoveries of the scientific community and then ask ourselves, should we not also follow in the footsteps of a, the medical community if we truly believe that all things happen in accordance to God's will. Now, we won't be able to discuss all of these topics. Like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this up, but uh, we'll probably cover the first, first one or two tonight, and then in a future broadcast, we'll, we'll go through the, the other topics as well. Now, it's our duty to put the health of, body, health of the body of Christ first. Uh, the collective health of the body of Christ is reflective of the individual bodies making the whole. We are placing the Holy Trinity first, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, the temple of the Holy Spirit outranks our body because our bodies do not belong to us, for our lives are not our own. Quote, Lord, I know that the people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. We see this said again in 1 Corinthians 6.19, quote, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 
Ultimately, we are stewards of our body and the temple of the Holy Spirit. It could be wrong, but it seems to me that the current way we look at diet and health as Christian men is broken. We live in a broken world, and I know it's not possible to fully live the way God intends us to. But if this was the original plan, shouldn't we try our best to live the way God intended for us until Jesus comes again? So the diet that God originally intended for us was primarily made of plants, and I believe that it's biblically founded, because as I said previously, death only existed after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. The existence of meat only exists because of death. In Genesis 2, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, I was listening to a TED Talk earlier today, and someone was referring to how the human eye has been specially developed to actually see bright colors, and their thought process was that through evolution, our eyes have had evolved to see fresh fruits, fruits and vegetables that are brightly colored. We can recognize them as being safe and good to eat. So... I think there could be some overlap there. Um, Whether or not you believe in evolution or creation, the human eye, from that perspective, was created to see ripe fruits and vegetables. Now, I think the, the New King James Version actually says this best in its translation. It says in Genesis 1, 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat. So right there, it's, it's, it's blatantly saying that all the herbs, all the herb bearing fruits and trees would be the meat that we eat. Now, I don't, I don't know what the original Greek or Hebrew term was that they used for the translation for meat, but it's obviously referring to the meat or or fleshy substance of the fruit. So it is probable to discern that God's voice is clearly telling us everything born in the ground from a seed upon the earth is good to eat and would be for consumption. Now the second part where it is repeated slightly different in verse 30, is where I think people tend to get confused. But let's go ahead and break it down so we can try and better understand how God is telling us the story. So we are at verse 29, so here's verse 30. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So I believe it's probable that in the second part of the sentence, God is clearly telling us that every green herb was given for food for all the animals in the Garden of Eden, without discretion of class, order, family, genus, or species, that arguably it sounds like God is telling us that he created all things to have life, and all the plants, fruits, and herbs from seeds are food for every living thing. 
Something else to note is in Genesis chapter 2, the author does not say when God made the animals, but it says God brought them to Adam to be named, which were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So something else to note in Genesis chapter 2 is that the author does not say when God made animals that God brought them to Adam to be named, which were pleasing to the eye and good for food. It doesn't say that. Here's what it does say. And out of the ground God made and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Skipping to verse 20, And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help to meet him. And that was Genesis 2.9 and Genesis 2.20. So God did not create animals to be eaten in the Garden of Eden. The first uh, verse of the Bible acknowledging death is in Genesis 3.21, where God kills the first animal to give Adam and Eve something to cover their naked bodies, which only happened after they ate from the tree of good and evil. So Genesis 3.21 in the NIV version says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Uh, the King James Version same verse, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Jumping now to after Adam and Eve leave the actual Garden of Eden, they give birth to two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel in Genesis chapter 4, and this is now the second time we see death in the Bible. And from here, here on marks the turning point of death's introduction. So we have the fall, we have God killing an animal to clothe them in skin. It doesn't say they ate the animal, it just says that death happened so they could be clothed. And then the next time we see death is when Cain kills Abel in chapter 4. Skipping ahead, in, in the book of Daniel, we see a man who is a deportee from Judah He's enslaved by one of the most lavish and wealthy kings of this time period. And we'll pick it up here in Daniel chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. The king, referring to Nebuchadrezzar of king, of king of Babylon, assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked that the chief official for, for permission not to defile himself this way. Verse 12, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So, he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. That was from Daniel chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. So then in verse 15, it says that 
at the end of the testing period, quote, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Scripture says immediately after seeing the results of this, the guard took away the royal food and wine and gave them vegetables instead. So the first diet case study was performed over 2,000 years ago. And sadly, no church leader or Bible group leader or church pastor has ever taught me this in Sunday school. Either in a church service or a men's retreat, it's just never been mentioned to me. If God wanted this omitted from the Bible because it was insignificant, I think he would have. But lucky for us, God made sure to leave this story in the Bible loud and clear. Even the king and the guards in the most pagan kingdom on earth took notice and immediately changed out the diet of their men because the case study lasting just 10 days proved that what was being eaten at the king's table was not getting the natural bodily response that they were getting from eating the vegetables and water. Something to think about. But the story doesn't stop there. I believe God in his infinite wisdom and clarity points out something so profound it should jump out to us, and yet no one has ever taught this lesson either. God times the next verse perfectly. In verse 17, Then after the men changed their diet to vegetables and water and removed the wine and the king's food, quote, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds, from literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. End quote. It goes on to say in verse 20, quote, In every matter, matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, the individuals who ate the diet of vegetables and water, not from the king's table, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. The simple yet profound act of removing the food from the king's table and the wine because he didn't want to defile himself and by being prayerful in union with God and eating this diet, David found favor with the Lord and also with the king. It wasn't just the, the prayerful union nor the diet alone which made him capable, but by being in prayerful union with the Lord, David was able to hear the Holy Spirit more and then act upon what he had heard. This is the act of faith. In my opinion, the act of faith is listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say and the calling put on our heart, and then taking action. So you're listening to what's being said to you. You're taking action. The Holy Spirit told him, do not defile your body by eating what's at the king's table. You are to eat vegetables and water. He took action. Now, Gideon 
hearing God's voice and acting in preparation to remove members of his army. Sorry if I'm skipping around, but uh, so we just talked about David, and now we're going to talk about Gideon. So Gideon, hearing God's voice and acting in preparation to remove the members of his army, because God said he had too many men. Moses, hearing the Holy Spirit and the burning bush, and then acting upon God's commands to free the Israelites. So we've got multiple references of faith. We have David, we have Gideon, and we have Moses, among others, but these are the three that I chose. Hear what God had to say to them, and they immediately took action. So by choosing to eat a diet consisting only of vegetables and water, he became ten times better than the smartest and brightest individuals in the most successful kingdom in the known world at that time. Therefore, to be successful in the calling God has for us, we must also be in prayerful union with the Holy Spirit. In addition to reflecting a diet to service the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our bodies, and in through that, we have to take action to what God is calling us towards. So we're listening to what the Holy Spirit has for us. We're tending to taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit by eating a diet that is most favorable for us in reference to what we were given in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And then we must be in prayerful union with the Holy Spirit. So, like myself when I began this journey, I'm, I'm sensing you may still be a bit skeptical, so uh, if you'd allow me to continue, I'm going to pick up here in Jeremiah chapter 31, where God talks about the bounty of supply overflowing for the people of Israel gathered in Zion. So this is Jeremiah 31 verse 12, and this will be in the King James Version. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall follow together in the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and for wine and for oil, and for the young of the flock and of the herd, and their soul shall be as watered garden as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. So I wonder if the fall of man hadn't happened, would the mention of the young of the flock and the herd be included in that verse that we just read in Jeremiah thirty one twelve? Let me go ahead and read that again, just so we can kind of walk through it again together. So verse 12, Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and for wine and for oil, and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as, water, as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. So when they're referring to the young of the flock and of the herd, I believe they're referring to the flock and the herd as the sacrificial, the sacrificial item that was called upon them by the law of Moses. And this was a sacrifice that was demanded of us because of the, the sin offering and the, all the different offerings that they had to provide uh, on the altar. But my, my wonder is that if, if sin had never entered the world, would there, would there be any need for, 
for this verse referring to the young of the flock and of the herd, because if there was no fall, there would be no need to sacrifice, and therefore there would be no death. Uh, so that's kind of where my mindset was going. Um, so for an additional perspective, I wanted to refer to John Gill's exposition of uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 12. So he goes on by saying, quote, Rich provisions which are made in it for the comfort and refreshment of his people. Hence it follows, for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd, not for temporal blessing, which are for the good of the body only, but for the spiritual blessing signified by these, which are good for the soul, as the next clause shows, quote, for wheat, for the gospel and the doctrines of it which are the finest of the wheat and are as preferable as to false doctrines as chaff is to wheat and are soul nourishing and strengthening. And he's referring to um, Jeremiah 31, 12 and Jeremiah 23, 28. He goes on by saying, moreover, Christ himself is compared to wheat and was typified by the manna, the corn of heaven and the angel's food and is the bread of God and the bread of life, and to be had in the church and ordinances of it. See John chapter 12, verse 24. And for wine, the precious truths of the word, which, like the best wine, go down sweetly, the discoveries of the love of God in Christ, which are better than spiced wine, and the blood of Christ, signified by the wine in the Lord's Supper, which is drink indeed. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 9. Also, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2, and 2, verse 4, John, chapter 6, verse 55. And for the oil, which is the grace of the Spirit, and larger measures of it, which is the golden oil, that through the golden pipes of ordinances is emptied out of the fullness of grace in Christ in the hearts of his people, Zechariah 4.12. And for the young of the flock and of the herd, the best of them, which being slain in sacrifice, typified Christ the Passover lamb, the fatted calf, and which makes the principal part of the gospel feast. Matthew chapter 22, verse 4. And again, that was uh, John Gill's commentary regarding this, this verse when it's talking about these, uh, these four or five individual things, the wine, the wheat, the, the oil and the, the sacrifices being made by the young of the flock and of the herd. So for both of these indications having to do with Christ dying on the cross for our sins, as well as the fattened calf being sacrificed for the gospel feast or gospel supper, what is, what is the gospel feast, you might ask? If you're not familiar with that, um, it is referred to in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24, where it says, Then said he to him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. J.W. Reeves, uh, he also put a commentary together regarding the gospel feast, and he concluded the following. There are three different points. The first point was the excellence of the feast. The second was the, the blessedness of partaking in the gospel feast and the misery of refusing. So the excellence of the feast, he, meaning Jesus, 
sets before you salvation, pardon, peace, and eternal life. And he asks, are these things not worth having? Are they not necessary to the welfare of your soul? Where can you get them? But in the way you are called to accept now. And in the misery of refusing, of never tasting the gospel suffer, never, never, never knowing pardon of sin, and never knowing peace of the conscience. So neither of these references to the young of the flock or of the herd would be necessary if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. The fall of man was the cause of the need to include these two types of references the, the fattened calf and the young of the flock, as forms of sacrifices as atonement. God knows all of our wants and desires, but he knows exactly what we need in order to live freely and in unity with him. Having an abundance of chickens or ribeye steaks it just doesn't seem to be a part of what God originally had in plan for us. I also wonder if, if this references to an abundance of flocks and herds was for the shepherds, not as a form of food necessarily, but as an abundance of supplies to live on during this time period. Now, based on, on the research I could find on nomadic lifestyles during the 18th and 6th centuries BC, they heavily, heavily relied on livestock to provide ample supplies of of resources, so wool, fur, leather, sinew, bone, and I'm, sh I'm sure there's a myriad of other supplies that would have been used to help protect people from the natural conditions or, or health, health issues. There is, however, one reference that I found in, in reference to eating dairy, honey, and animals in different parts of the Bible, but as as, I re as a reminder of the eating of animals only occurs because death entered the world, I want to go ahead and read these for you guys so you can see some of the common Bible verses that people will quote by saying, look, like these individuals in the Bible ate meat or they ate honey or they ate these, these animal products. You know, why, why should we not be eating this stuff now? So, I want to make sure that I cover this so it doesn't seem like I'm, I'm completely one-sided or completely against it. Like, I want you to know that I'm trying to come at this from a, a contextual and, and multi-angled approach. So, uh, let me go ahead and just read through these quickly. There's, uh, there's about five of them. So, the first one in Genesis 18, verse 8, it says this, He, meaning Abraham, then brought some curds and milk and the calf, foreshadowing of the gospel feast, which would come much later, that had been prepared, and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So we have Abraham bringing out curd and milk and, and, uh, and calf and bringing it to the individuals to have them eat with him. So in Genesis chapter 18, verse 7, it says, Meanwhile, Abraham ran to the herd, selected a tender, choice calf, and gave it to the servant who hurried and prepared it. So again, Abraham is selecting uh, 
you know, a lamb or uh, it says choice calf. So uh, a baby calf, baby cow, and they're going to prepare it as a meal. So Deuteronomy 32, verse 14, it says, With curds from the herd and milk from the flock, with the fat of the lambs, with rams of, Bash- of Bashan and goats, with the choicest grains of wheat, from the juice of the finest grapes, you drank the wine. And it's, that's referencing the goodness of the Lord in, in Zion that we talked about earlier in Jeremiah. So we have, we have curds, we have um, milk from the flock, we got fat of the lamb. Uh, they were eating ram from Bashan and goats. So again, they're eating meat and, and dairy. And, and um, the next verse is Isaiah 7, verse 15. So by the time he knows enough to reject evil and choose good, he will be eating curds and honey. So another reference to dairy and honey. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 22. And from the abundant milk they give, he will eat curds, for all who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. Another reference to, to dairy and milk and uh, dairy and honey. So with all that being said, I believe it's highly probable that eating meat was by choice because sin had entered the world. Ultimately, with God providing all the food we needed in the Garden of Eden, there really was no need to eat meat. So I think that's all I have for this evening. Um, If you guys have questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, send me your comments. Send me your questions. I would happily, happily um, uh, touch base with you and and see if we can walk through some of the things that we discussed in this broadcast. Um, like I said prior, I'm, I'm breaking this up into a multi-part series that will be kind of going through some of the main topics that I had referenced earlier, and hopefully give you guys the information that I found in bite-sized pieces and give you guys an opportunity to kind of chew on it a little bit. And uh, it'll lead into the further discussion as we kind of dig a little bit deeper, talk a little bit more about what's happening in our culture, what's happening in the medical industry, um, and more specifically talking more in depth about certain individuals and more Bible verses about what it means to have a healthy lifestyle. What does that look like for... Uh, for individuals seeking Jesus, seeking after that perfection. And I hope this is helpful. Um, And uh, yeah, I really look forward to sharing the rest of the the content that I have with you. So thank you guys for sticking around. Uh, I look forward to seeing you guys next time. And uh, again, this is a Paladin Preacher. And uh, feel free to check out my website at Peleus.com. Uh, it's my men's ministry that, that we've been launching. Um, we're still kind of in the beta phase, trying to iron out a few wrinkles. But anyway, you can check us out at Peleus.com. That's P-A-L-A-E-U-S.com. And look forward to hearing you guys next time. Thanks so much. Oh, before I forget, let's go ahead and close in prayer um, as we go ahead and wrap things up. 
and uh, we'll call it an evening. Holy Spirit, we are just so grateful for all that you're doing. Thank you for putting this on my heart to share with these, these individuals, to share with our fellow watchmen. Thank you for continuing to lead us and guide us through the difficult challenges that, that lay in our path, Lord. Whether we are currently in a storm, we, we just got out of a storm, or we're headed into one, Lord. We know that you are with us and that you are going to be there fighting alongside us. Holy Spirit, you are just so graceful and you are so gracious to love us the way you do and to be present with us in, the, in our lives and with our families and with our friends. And we ask that you would continue to peel back the layers of, of ourselves that you are trying to remove, Lord. That you would continue to allow us to open up to you, that we would be open to what you have to say, that we would listen, Lord, listen to you intently and actively listening so that when we do hear your call and we hear your voice, Holy Spirit, that we can act, that we can immediately take action in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, you are, you are all-encompassing. You are perfect, and we are so grateful that you have blessed us with your eternal love and with the promise of a reward in heaven and future rewards of, of gold and silver and diamonds in the, in the years to come, Lord. Thank you for guiding us, Lord. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Your name be praised. The Lord of heaven's armies, the King of glory, Yahweh. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Watchmen. Thanks again for tuning into the broadcast. If you didn't hate it, go hit that subscribe button. You can check out our website at Peleus.com. That's Peleus, P-A-L-A-E-U-S.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, come one, come all. Together stand tall. For the Lord rejoices in uprightness.